If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here Everything is personal right here Let me end on the N.A. Heat guaranteed when you press in the play Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. As always, my lovely, talented, with a brand new phobia that we'll talk about co-host, uh, Miss Kimberly Dillon. Welcome to the show. Thank you, as always. <laughs> and uh, a very special guest. So I want to say, first of all, a brother, a friend, and uh, uh, Mr. Elias Kofri, thank you for joining us. Uh, by the way, he's the CEO of Seven Sages Health. Uh, so welcome to the program. And uh, I wanted to say one thing. I always do research on a guest. I try to find out as much as I possibly can. And uh, that way I can ask more specific questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to tell you, you are the most unique guest. And I was telling this be before I started recording. Uh, do, you, do you even exist? Like if I didn't see you and then talk to you, do you even exist? And I'll tell everybody sort of a little bit about your background, but I could not find anything. There was a picture of you somewhere standing and then there was some sort of article that mentioned your name once and that was it. And yeah. I did I did pretty good research. Yeah, no, you did. Uh, <laughs> first, thanks for having me. It's a, it's an absolute pleasure and, and honor and uh, echo your sentiments. I've, I've enjoyed over the past, what, six plus years or so really uh, getting to know you and, and becoming close friends. So thank you. As far as... Uh, my lack of a social footprint, that's by design. My previous line of work was in special operations. And um, obviously in that line of work, you, you try to not overexpose yourself. And so uh, professionally, that impacts you a little bit, you know, with uh, LinkedIn and, and all the various platforms that are out there. I, I try to avoid a lot of those. And, um, you know, enough time has passed now that I'll probably start building those footprints. Uh, but being so close to retirement, only a few years or four years now since my medical retirement, um, still just try to be cognizant of uh, where my face and name ends up. Well, Wait, first is, of all, can I add now? Well, I just want to thank I just want to thank Eli for his service, and then yes, uh, special operations veteran. Is that like uh, that show Twenty Four. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Is that like? Sure, maybe. Whatever. <laughs> 
I don't. That's that's the frame of reference. Kimberly's frame of reference is is a show. It is not like the DNA is like CSI Miami, and then uh, special operations is like. Have you seen the documentary about the SEAL Team Six when they go in on uh, you know Bin Laden and all that stuff? Have you seen any any of that? No. But there- Chris Hemsworth was in a movie, <laughs> The American Shooter. <laughs> We're like Marvel. It's like Thor. Or, or, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's it. Understood. <laughs> I don't kiss and tell. Those stories, uh, they'll stay close to the collar. So you were, so what branch of the military were you in? Let's Navy. start with that. Uh, first off, again, I appreciate the thanks for my service. I do like to point out that uh, any thanks that I get, uh, uh, 100% goes to my wife and kids while I was doing what I did. Uh, over a span of about 15, 16 years, I averaged 290, 300 days a year gone every year. Uh, and so without my amazing warrior wife uh, doing what she did, which is essentially everything, I wouldn't have been able to play with my buddies and you know have fun and be a big grown kid. So all things goes to her. Um, as far as uh, your question, I was in the Navy. Uh, I was a, a medic attached to the SEAL teams and... Uh, did that for almost 22 years, about 21 and a half years before I was uh, medically retired due to injuries. Uh, what what type of injuries, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, we got a long list here. <laughs> uh, I, I got a quite a few. Obviously, as you can imagine, that's a rough, uh, a rough line of work, uh, both in training and then obviously deployed. Um, lots of orthopedic injuries. Uh, me being a medic, and I'm a big guy, you know, already. Um, I had I trained so that I would be able to fulfill my duties wherever we were, and, and that included being able to you know pick up a guy that weighs about 250 pounds with kit and and either sling him over my shoulder or drag him to safety, and, and um, so I trained really hard to be able to do my job the best that I could, and um, you know just in the facilitation of doing all that stuff as well as the training missions with with all the boys and then deploying. Um, you, you, you break stuff. Um, war is not gentle. And, uh, so you, you definitely develop uh, a long list of, uh, at least myself speaking for myself, orthopedic injuries, um, had some spinal injuries, um, two lumbar spinal injuries, uh, one cervical injury, uh, injured, uh, hip, both knees, both ankles, shoulder, and then my noggin, uh, broke my jaw. So, orthopedically, you know, quite, quite a bit of stuff to, to deal with. And then obviously all the, uh, neurological issues from the spinal injuries and then just, you know, emotional wear and tear that, that job comes with some bills that come due one day. And, uh, most of us are so, uh, focused on doing our job the best that we can for the, our brothers and sisters that are around us, that we we're almost, uh, bred to, to operate beyond pain, if you will. And, and, um, having a focus of a mission or a training, um, you never really focus on yourself. You're always, it's, it's something bigger than us. And then obviously, like I mentioned, all our teammates. Uh, and so when I retired, that's when I really started feeling stuff. It was like subconsciously my brain clicked off. Like you don't have any more war to go to. There's no more training to go to. So I'm going to let you start feeling some stuff now. And I would wake up and be like, man, why, why can't I move my shoulder? Why is my, why is my hip hurt? Or, you know, so uh, it's uh, definitely been a, a new adventure uh, since becoming a civilian again. So as a medic in the, in the special forces, I'll, I'll kind of refer to it that way. Uh, was there a certain like protocol that the, the military wanted you to, first of all, uh, 
to provide to other uh, military personnel. Like, here's your protocol. This is what you can do. This is what you can do. <clears throat> and then also when you realized your own injuries and things, uh, was there a certain thing that you knew you 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 had to do as part of your training, but then you started thinking about other ways that you can kind of address your own uh, injuries? And so great question, uh, loaded like a baked potato there. I mean, if you think about uh, my primary duty, obviously, is to provide medical support to the, you know, I, I, I'm blessed. I got to walk amongst giants and uh, it was just an absolute honor being able to, to serve the people that I did. Um, my job, first and foremost, is making sure that those guys and gals um, have everything they need medically and dentally and all that stuff to be able to deploy and then also support um, whether we're training or we're forward in combat, uh, the various roles that a medic can find themselves in, whether you're on the battlefield or you're back at, um, you know, uh, an overwatch, if you will, or if you're back even further on a, on a base or what we call a FOB, um, you know, medically uh, managing all the logistics and support of those guys. So that's first and foremost. Secondary to that, I was lucky in that there were some really great people where I worked and I'll keep their names, um, you know, to, to myself because I, I just, like myself, I don't know who likes to have their name out there or not, but uh, there was a gentleman I worked uh, with at uh, the command I was at which is called Naval Special Warfare Development Group. And he was in charge of all the human performance and strength and conditioning. And, and with that gentleman, I really got to, to see a lot of the research um, and be involved in helping to try to, to steer some of that stuff to our guys uh, for the purpose of either providing longevity to their careers, helping them come back from injuries, uh, being a bridge between the rehab and the surgeons and, and you know, effectively uh, managing their care downrange if, if they had some workouts that needed to be done. Um, and then also looking for stuff that, that was really on the bleeding edge of human performance. And for, you know, 20 years, uh, we were deep in, into technologies that have now become the standard. You know, you think about um, biohacking or, or the book stealing fire and a lot of that stuff. Um, you know, the red led beds, cryo on and on and on. A lot of that stuff is from the work that we did and, and now it's out there in, in the greater good. So when we identified things that, that we could anchor with clinical evidence, not just anecdotal, I feel great, but clinical evidence that would show us that biologically or metabolically, it was, it was helping them in some way, shape or form. Those were things that then, yes, we would say, hey, I advise that you try this or maybe use this modality to include in your toolkit for your rehab or, or whatever it may be. Um, as you develop your relationship with your, your troop or your platoon, whatever it might be called, uh, you know, different services use different names, but it's all the same. You're with a group of men and women and you're their medical provider. You're their sole point of contact uh, when, you're, when you're deployed. And uh, so there would be a lot of times where guys would ask me, hey, what vitamins should I be taking? What supplements should I be taking? I'm trying to do X, Y, or Z. What can I or can't I take? Um, or I would be aware, like I said, of whatever their prior surgical work was or whatever um, you know, rehab program they were on um, to, to have communicated with those physicians or, or practitioners to know what they should or shouldn't do. So yeah, there is a lot of it that, that um, applies. There... And a lot of it ends up being, it's my own desire to, to educate myself and take training courses. Some of it is mandated. Um, you know, you have to be an expert in, 
high altitude medicine and dive medicine and jumping and trauma and on and on and on and on and dogs, canine medicine. Um, so you, you, you learn so much stuff, but some of the stuff that guys end up getting interested in when they are trying to, you know, just get that extra little edge of performance, it all tends to be stuff in the supplement space or, um, you know, exogenous hormones, you, you name it, guys are looking to do anything and everything they can to, to heal quicker. Um, you know, most people would think, uh, you know, guys taking steroids, for example, to, to get jacked. But in our world, guys are just doing that stuff to, to survive, to, to heal quicker, you know, to, to get whatever advantage they can. So um, a lot of that stuff you have to approach, obviously, very delicately because it's not my place to tell you what you should or shouldn't take. But I, I found it important to educate myself so that I could at least give guidance so that they could make informed decisions and then obviously I would, I would do my best to ensure that they, you know, followed up with, uh, you know, a provider or somebody that was actually expert in that realm, you know, so there's a lot to it. Yeah. And, and I think, and I have some follow-up questions on, on that too, but just interesting enough, uh, you brought up like uh, steroids, for instance, and I just think that hormone replacement, like got a really bad a stigma associated to that because we think about you know performing enhancing drugs for athletes or bodybuilders something like that but you just said the right you know you said it right it's to speed up recovery and a lot of people have hormone imbalances to even to get themselves to a baseline level where they have to perform at their own optimal level maybe there is uh, some hormone uh, you know replacement that needs to be done so it's not about just sticking yourself uh, you know to get jacked as you said it's about those kind of things and being able to look at their personal levels and be able to address those so yeah 100% and a lot of it too, like you said, it, it's, it's, it's stigmatized because of people that abuse it. As with everything, there's always going to be people that, that take it to the max. If you think about a bodybuilder, their goal is just to put on size and volume and, you know, to have an aesthetic that they're chasing. But for the guys and gals that I serve, having the, you know, the physicality obviously was a big component of what we did, but, you know, it's like 90% was your, your brain, your, your ability to have this relentless desire or belief in yourself that nothing could stop you. I mean, if, if my last option was to roll towards the, the, you know, the guys that were shooting, I was like, that's what I would do. It was always to, to be moving forward. And, and as I mentioned earlier, the job goes, uh, it's rough on your body and your mind. Right. And, and so um, worth mentioning, especially when we start thinking about head injury, is that neurochemically there have been changes that have occurred. And, and typically because of the lack of sleep, the poor nutrition, the go, 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 and being locked in this state of, we're always stuck in fight, right? We're, we're in this state of hypervigilance. And all of that together is a caustic cocktail for your endogenous hormones. You start you know, we'll get labs done with some of our guys and it's like they have the testosterone of an 80 year old man, you know, and if you look at the mean average of what the labs are testing for and they tell you that, um, you know, it should be, you know, 300, to 800 or whatever. And that's based on, you know, 200. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's based on people that are almost sedentary compared to the population that I'm taking care of, you know. And so um, all these things are stacked against the guys where we, we do everything and anything that we can to continue giving to the command, to the mission, to our team. Um, and it comes at a great price. And, and so I think there should certainly be 
um, the ability to step back and look logically like, listen, these aren't guys that are competing for Olympic medals and they're not playing some game like football or basketball, you know, a, a kid's game that people make a, a quite a bit of money playing these days. These are people that are putting their life on the line in service of a mission because their country has said, this is what you, you need to go do. Um, again, as the warrior, like we don't choose what we go do, but when we're, we're, you know, sent in the direction to complete a mission, we go get it done. And again, at great cost. And so I think it should be looked at uh, from the perspective of we should be doing all that we can to support these men and women to heal faster. Um, and as you mentioned, a lot of times people will, will take too much of just say testosterone. And, and when you take one thing, there are a bunch of other things that should be taking as well to normalize the effect and also the impact to your body. You know, if you take one thing, other things in your body may turn off because now you have an exogenous supply, just like with cannabinoids, right? So you you should be doing all you can to, to I, I think, to take care of these folks because they're not, you know, Olympians. These are these are life and death athletes. Yeah, 100% agreed. And, uh, you know, I, one other thing just to kind of unpack a little bit more, the, this is a very special uh, demographic. So the baseline that we're measuring against takes a baseline of the average of population. Yeah. But this is not an average population. They, they're a completely different type of population group because, as you said, it's a different mental state all the time, different physical state. So I think we need to have different baselines comparatively between general population and you know active military uh, in terms of getting the markers straight and then being able to address those markers from there. Absolutely. To, to caveat what you say, you know, I just recently experienced, um, you know, some issues with a, I needed another spinal surgery. I was suffering greatly last year because of a, a re herniation and, and being a, a retired veteran, uh, no complaints here, but um, just to tell the story how it is, the system, I, I rank real low in priority on who gets appointments, right? I'm a retiree and, and I get it. Uh, we want to make sure those active duty guys and gals and their families are taken care of first and foremost. But as you can imagine, the system is overwhelmed. You hear nightmare stories about how veterans and retirees are treated, not only at military treatment facilities, but also the VA. And, um, you know, I've met plenty of people in those places that, that work really hard and care a lot, but the system is just, it's its overwhelmed and, and frankly, it's its quite broken. Um and in that experience, I, you know, I was, I was, um, the doctor had asked like, well, what's your pain level, you know, on a scale of one to 10. And, and when I said, I'm at a thousand, you know, like I'm at a new level here. I, I know that I need surgery. Um, I have had difficulties with my legs on and on and on with, with the symptoms I was experiencing. And the, I was dismissed. She was like, well, there's no way you can hurt Like you wouldn't even be walking. You know, and I think part of that is because, like you said, they apply the same measuring tape to everybody. She may apply the same one to 10 scale in her head that she would to, say, an 80 year old man or maybe a 15 year old kid, as well as a 47 year old guy. You know, and so I think as we look at healthcare, especially over the last few years, I hope people are waking up to see, you know, who they're really working for. And a lot of times, unfortunately, it's not us. Um, we should always be our best, our, our own advocate for ourselves. And, and not be afraid to do that for so long. Um, you know, I, I remember going to the doctor as a kid and uh, with my mom and the doctor would say something and they'd be like, well, we got to do that because that's what the doctor said. And I'd be like, well, I don't, I don't want to take that stuff. I, I feel okay, you know, or whatever it is. So um, not, not to go down the rabbit hole here uh, too much, but um, I think it should be cause uh, for people to, to do a bit better 
um, advocating for themselves and their families and, and not just blindly trusting somebody because they have a, a degree on the wall that, you know. Yeah. So feel feel free to, feel free, feel, uh, Kimberly, I, I know you have a question. Feel free to go down any rabbit hole you want because that's how we, we sort of just talk and it's really interesting to get your perspective on this because we're not in that, uh, you know, field and, and you have a different perspective of it. So I, I'd like to get as deep into it as, as possible. Well, my Sorry. first question is that um, what is it for you emotionally, if at all, when you also have this training and then you have this professional telling you, no, this is not dismissing, but you yourself, A, are feeling it and B, also have the training and probably a more extreme version of the training because you've seen it in so many different settings that your instincts and intuition probably is higher than in a standard situation. Great question. To be honest, I think it actually hurts me a little bit because I go in there prepared and, and I think that might set off alarm bells with some physicians. There was one encounter um, early on after I had, uh, ruptured some uh, lumbar discs so bad so that it ended up in what's called cauda aquinas syndrome um you know in your lumbar section at about l3 your your spinal cord splits into this big bundle of nerves called cauda aquina or the horse's tail and if you have a, a, a herniation um, in that area or, or any impact to those nerves from say a, a broken uh, or fractured vertebrae or something it is the only true orthopedic emergency that you need to get into surgery because the effects are wide ranging and, and for life. Um, not only the control of your, your legs, but all the innervation into most of your, your organs, um, your, your sexual organs. I mean, everything and anything in that area. Um, so I went in, uh, I walked in on my own two feet. Uh, it was uh, an effort, <laughs> a grueling effort to put it lightly. You know, I just, I'm not a fan of pills and, and um, you know, remedies of the symptom. I want to do the hard work and get at the root, the cause, right? So that I can, I can be better. Um, so I walked in there and, and I laid out fully, hey, here's what just happened. Um, here's what I think is going on. Here are the tests you should do. Let's go. And they immediately dismissed me as a drug seeker and they actually sent me um, out of the ER. And so, um, you know, I, I was in a, a, a really uh, tough state of mind, if you will, when that happened, uh, aside from my own injury. Um, unfortunately, I had lost a, a bunch of really close friends in the helicopter crash. And I literally went home thinking, maybe I'm making this up. Maybe they're right. You know, like I'll just lay on my kitchen floor because it's cold and whatever happens. And I ended up passing out from pain. And my wife found me and called some people from the command. They came and checked me out, rushed me back to the hospital straight into surgery. So um, I think, I think you should, you know, from my perspective, I, I don't think that I'm an expert any more than anybody else. I, I, I had some really great mentors that medically, um, shared with me some, some good nuggets when I was a young medic. And that was let medicine always scare you when you're practicing it on people. Triple check yourself before you do anything. Obviously in a trauma situation, you're flowing and things are moving quickly. But when I would do what we call like a daily sick call, when guys would come talk to me about their aches and pains or you know their illnesses that they were battling, um, I would just do my thorough due diligence. I wanted to know what they were taking, vitamins, supplements, any other prescription meds I don't know about. Um, so that in the, the thinking of my treatment plan, I wanted to ensure there were no contraindications to the medicines I would be potentially prescribing or therapies, on and on and on. Because 
I owed that to them. Like that's why I was there. My whole reason for being there was to care for those men and women as best as I could. So um, I would just always do my best, but I don't think um, a lot of providers do that. Uh, to be fair, there are some there are some amazing providers, but just like with any profession, every profession, if you think of it, is a microcosm of the greater society. So while we have great Americans, we have some not so great Americans. It's the same with doctors or teachers or policemen or military. You, you name it. There's always going to be some some bad apples in there. And um, unfortunately, I think because of the way, especially in the military, there's if I am, am um, mistreated, I have no legal recourse to, you know, address any damages, uh, personal, financial, emotional or otherwise. You get what you get. And so a lot of the providers that, that I ran across uh, operated with a type of autonomy where they, you know, they were going to do what they were going to do. Um, and they also, the, the difficult thing in the military that I think a lot of people struggle with is typically a lot of physicians are, are officers of a more senior rank, you know, lieutenant, commander, and above, captain. And most of the patients that go in, there are these young, you know, E2, E3s, like low on level um, enlisted folks. And so when they get told things, um, they, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, I'm, okay, I'll do what you say. Um, and, and so there's a bit of a power um, dynamic there as well that, that gets abused sometimes. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, I would go into it eyes and ears open. My dad always said, God gave me two ears and two eyes for, and one mouth for a reason, you know, like look and listen and choose your words wisely. And so I would go into every medical appointment with open ears. Who knows? Maybe I'm going to learn something or maybe something that I didn't think about will be presented to me as a potential uh, reason why I might be experiencing something. Um, so I don't go in there thinking like, I know everything and um, here's what we're going to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, it's certainly a, a, a tricky situation. And I think people in the civilian world feel the same. You know, you go to a doctor and you think because they're a doctor, they know everything. And, and that is not at all the case. So, um, and again, I'm not trying to disparage any physicians out there. There, there are some absolutely amazing physicians, but I think we as a people, um, globally, shamefully, have have lost a, um, a decorum with each other, or respect and dignity uh, in, in the way that we treat each other. And like I said, it, you know, those things happen culturally. They happen in professions as well. So um, I would just urge people to to uh, be respectful. <laughs> um, think about what you need to get across to your provider. Um, listen to what they have to say, and if you don't agree with what they're telling you to do by all means, get a second choice or ask to see a different provider there. You have to be your best advocate because no one else will. Yeah. I, I, I could, I, one of the things you, you mentioned that we lost is uh, this collaborative sort of experience with your healthcare professional. Uh, it, you just mentioned like take two of these and call me in the morning. Nobody ever questions it, but I think during COVID with telemed and, you know, even, even like doing uh, genetic testing and things of that nature. You're looking at data. You're looking at your blood markers. You're looking at your biometric uh, uh, feedback. All this other stuff. You can Google it, and then you can have uh, a conversation with your healthcare professional. Of course, you're not as trained, obviously, but you you have specific questions. And what I see, and I've been noticing this, uh, that it's a personality thing. There are certain healthcare professionals that will dismiss you. What do you mean? How dare you question me? I'm the one that med went to medical school. I have the, all this experience. And there's other ones that are 
completely open to that. And I think that's the difference. And once again, not pigeonholing, uh, you know, MD, DO, but integrated functional medical professionals seem to be much more open to a collaborative experience because the goal is, as you said, let's get to the root cause of what's causing this instead of giving you a shot because something hurts in your arm. Well, the arm is not really the cause of the pain. It could be something else, as you were mentioning. So that that really needs to shift. And I, and I really see in a culture uh, from from the standpoint of looking at even traditional therapeutics as opposed to pharmaceuticals, et cetera, when we start talking about some of those other remedies, some of the healthcare professionals may not know a lot about that too. And they may be open to learning and you may teach them something. So having this collaborative experience is key. And I, I'm hopeful that we're starting to move much more in that direction. Uh, the the question I have on that on that statement is as you're going through the military and as as a medic, uh, alternative therapies or alternative treatments. Uh, how maybe there is a military personnel that were consuming different things that are not pharmaceuticals. Is that frowned upon by the military or is it accepted somewhat because we want you know the the military personnel to just be at their optimum best? Like how how is it looked on and, and your own personal experiences looking at other alternative or or I, I like to refer them as traditional therapeutics versus pharmaceuticals. What were you kind of views on that and how you started looking at that? Yeah, I think, you know, from um, if we look systemically at, at the military, um, overall, they tend to um, tell you don't take supplements, don't, you know, don't. Uh, it all started back in, in the early parts of the war where a lot of guys were um, using creatine. And in states of dehydration and poor nutrition, it was leading to issues, abdominal issues, uh, cramping issues, pain um, and, and in some cases, they tried to attribute, you know, injuries and, and deaths to, to, to that and, and the use of, um, you know, like Red Bulls and Rippets and Monsters and all these the thermogenically focused uh, pre-workout supplements. And so there was a, um, a general um, mandate, if you will, like, you know, unless your doctor or your, your corpsman or your medic is telling you to take something, don't. Um, and we have a lot of uh, younger folks straight out of high school into the military and, you know, with, with some of them with very little knowledge on how these things affect their body. And, and hence the reason why I decided to, to get into the space myself, because uh, a lot of the products that are out there are so loosely regulated. There's poor quality assurances and quality controls. And these companies are allowed to make outrageous claims about what their product is going to do for you. And a lot of it is, is fillers and artificial chemical. It's a science project that you're putting in your body. And so a lot of people think if this thing has ended up on the shelf, it's, it's safe. It's good for me. Like I, I can take it and, you know, ultimate orange or you name the thing that, that people used to use. And I would see guys all the time, like, man, I don't, I feel like my heart's going to come out of my chest or, or whatever it might be, you know, or they get these really high doses of niacin and be like my skin, my, why is my skin burning? Um, so I think if you have uh, uh, poor nutrition, right? Like guys that are, and I did it myself when I lived in barracks, you're, you're getting paid pennies. Um, so it's like, you're living on saltines and ramen and, you know, whatever cheap, garbage you can get out of the vending machine in your barracks and, and uh, couple that with um, uh, high 
uh, athletic output, poor rest, probably. You're probably drinking and partying. I, again, speaking for myself as a young guy, I definitely had some fun in my early days in the military. And all that adds up, again, to, to uh, a bad uh, you know, result if you're also going to be taking supplements that could potentially exacerbate your dehydration or, or, or something, right? Um, so generally, stay away from it. Me personally, I think if you do your homework and understand um, and are able to separate fact from fiction um, and, and learn about the, the you know, vitamin or herb or whatever it might be and, and what its effect is, if there's any clinical data out there to, to support the efficacy of what it is you're going to put in your body, obviously, those are all great things. As you know, being in the science uh, realm yourself, like some people would look at clinical reports and be like, this looks like Chinese to me. I don't understand what this is even saying. Right. So again, there's all these barriers to, to effectively learning uh, as much as you can, but the information is out there. And if you put in enough time, um, you surely can do it. Uh, there's plenty of people without degrees that are experts on, on supplements and vitamins because they put in the time or cannabis like yourself, you know, or psychedelics. I mean, there's so many people that have been practicing these things with an open mind for, for such a long time. So I would just urge folks that if you're going to take something, do your homework about it, understand why you're taking it. Um, and then also look at your diet and your nutrition. Most of what we need, we can get by eating in a healthy way, um, you know, a balanced diet with, with healthy meats, organ meats are, are, are so loaded with vitamins, obviously, you know, some vegetables and fruits and there's so much you can get from just what you're eating uh, alone, which would take a lot of the stuff you're ingesting uh, from a, a pill or a powder off the table, you know? So uh, it's just about doing your homework. So I think there's, there's a lot of benefit to supplements. And again, hence the reason why I decided to start a company my, myself to be able to offer a better product education on, on why that product is in front of you. Um, so people just gotta, you know, you gotta learn about what you're going to consume. Yeah, well, I, I I know Kimberly has a question. We'll we'll get to the seven sages thing. I'm I'm building uh, towards yeah. there. I'm glad to keep. Uh, uh, so we'll definitely talk about it. You know, it's but, an uh, important question I have, <laughs> which is, is the food different based on the levels that you are in the military? I.e., when you were the young guy versus like when you were in special ops. I imagine. Well, it's two questions because you had mentioned that some of the therapies that are popular we know about now sounds like they started in the military and you mentioned red therapy, red light therapy. I think that's what you said. Um, so it, it, it makes me feel like these are humans that need to be machines. And so if you're saying that machines, the most, the most potent um, way to power your body is not through medicine or supplementation, but through food is the quality of food for the highest performers of the military match? Sometimes. <laughs> um, it, as with anything, uh, the government can mess it up, right? And, and uh, with, with good intentions, uh, things and in bureaucracy, things take time. At the place where I worked, we did have a chow hall that, again, that the gentleman I mentioned in the humor performance realm, uh, my mentor, he, he worked really hard with... Uh, the command and nutritionist and, and some really great folks to, to put together something that would provide us uh, really optimal fuel choices. When you're deployed, um, you're eating, you know, chow hall food and, and it can range from stuff, you know, like MREs. Um, that's sometimes uh, what you end up eating or 
um, in the early days in Afghanistan. Uh, any veteran that might be listening to this is going to get a chuckle. But we had these, um, we called them oil cans. They were essentially, it looked like an oil can and it said Gatorade on it. And it was a nutritional shake. And they were either chocolate or vanilla. And um, I'll spare you from what they tasted like, but they were just calorie bombs. And so that along with um, what we had over there was called Rippets. It's like a Red Bull version, you know. Um, so it was Rippets and, and Gatorade. Uh, and then when you're out, you know, we would be doing long range patrols or, or living out in the mountains and, and, and working. Um, you're eating, you know, a lot of times what kind of food you would uh, camp with, maybe uh, dehydrated food or, or um, the regular MRE. So you really have to balance the the mission requirement with with how much you're willing to, to carry and you know to to provide you the nutrition you need and a lot of times you just you get used to to working with whatever you have and so um, I'm not going to say uh, the food all the time was was horrible but you know certainly it wasn't great you, you just got to uh, work to to make the best choices you can given with what's in front of you. Uh, but a lot of times when you're operating at such a high level, uh, physically and mentally, like your body just wants calories. Uh, I, I mean, I would take spoonfuls of coconut oil uh, just to get a lot of fat and calories and to, to have the energy I needed sometimes. So um, it's really up to the, the individual. But as far as, you know, is there better food as a new guy in boot camp to, you know, somebody in special operations or... Not really. I mean, it's it's all kind of the same stuff. The the chow halls, all it's like uh, cafeteria food in in you know high school. Um, that's what it is. It's you know it's the, and and again, those folks are presented with a really difficult task and feeding a lot of people every day, three times a day. Um, and so um, you know, stretching the dollars, the typically the the cheaper stuff wins, and and that's what ends up getting served. Um, so yeah. Uh, Kimberly, what's your favorite organ meat? I just want to know. <laughs> Beef liver. People, people can't. People can't hear your uh, expression on your face. <laughs> First off, I can't even honestly say I've had organ meat. Listen <laughs> out. Healthiest thing on the face of the earth. But what I imagine is that that is probably what led you to creating the company that you have now, where like all of like. It sounds like you had to take a lot of things into your own hands. Yeah, you certainly do. Um, you <laughs> certainly do. Um, you know, again, like I said, it, it it's up to the individual to make the choices that are best for them. And and at at the level where I um, you know spent the majority of my career, a lot of those guys and gals are, I mean, they're athletes beyond compare. And they like if you would think about a, a high level triathlete, it, those those men and women are so dialed in on anything that can make incremental, you know, performance uh, advantages, um, anything to help their sleep, their recovery, what they feel when they eat different things, how they react to their body. And so a lot of the guys and gals that I work with are, were the same way. They knew uh, what made them feel good. They knew that if they went out, um, you know, steaming and had a night of drinks and, and fried food at the bar, they were going to feel like garbage. Right. So uh, I think it was, um, I might be misquoting this, but I think it was uh, Laird Hamilton said something like, you know, garbage in, garbage out, right? So if you if you fuel yourself poorly, you'll have poor results performance-wise. And if you do your best to put good stuff in your body, you're going to get better performance. But again, you got to make do with what's in front of you and what you have. And sometimes it's just uh, a function of getting calories in there as best you can. Yeah. 
And, and David Goggins does a great job explaining all this and giving you like a visual of what that looks like because he went through all the different uh, camps. So if anybody's out there and wants to like listen or, or read a really good book, uh, read, I, I don't I don't remember the name of David Goggins' book off the top of my head, but I'll, uh, I'll put it into the notes of the podcast. But that is a great example that you can actually feel his journey and what he went through uh, in the different branches of military. Kind of let's let's roll back a little bit because I'm I'm curious about the journey itself, your personal journey. But where did you grow up? Uh, so a little bit, I was you know a traveler. My dad was a commercial airline pilot, so um, I was born overseas. I was born in Beirut, Lebanon. Uh, we lived there until the civil war got uh, to an untenable position to to safely have a family. Uh, and we left. Uh, my mother was Swedish, so we spent uh, a little bit of time there, but uh, mostly on the east coast of the U.S. My dad flew in 747s, um, so it was always near big international uh, airports. And so he typically flew out of JFK or or BWI in, in Baltimore. So we lived in New Jersey and uh, Maryland, and then I spent career, um, high school and um, college in, in Maryland. So did you have a desire to be in the military or did you have a desire to be of service like from a medical side how did that culminate in in your uh in your plans and your goals yeah 100 percent. i i feel like um you know especially with we, we see so much um anger and, and uh, dissent um in our country people don't know how amazing this place is and how good we truly have it um i grew up in the middle of a war and um you know, aside from having uh, older cousins and uncles and dads that were out there fighting to keep us safe, we lived in a, a small uh, Christian area. And as you can imagine, most of uh, the surrounding uh, folks that were, were fighting were, were uh, various sects of uh, uh, Islam. And we were a target uh, just by happenstance. And so um, I always knew that once we once we landed in the U.S., my this was back in the not to date myself here, but this was back in the days where you would like walk down steps on the tarmac. There was no like jet <laughs> and stuff, right? So you you but, already dated yourself. You already <laughs> gave everybody your age. It's too late, brother. <laughs> the plane lands in JFK, and uh, my I still remember to this day. I don't even know if my dad remembers, but it stuck with me. It was just like the weight of the world when he said this. But it was almost like he was watching, you know, when my foot touched the the tarmac. Um, and as soon as I stepped off the, the stairs, I felt, you know, his big old hand grab my shoulder and he leaned down and he was like, don't ever forget the step you just took. One day you're going to give back. And so it was inculcated within me from a very young age that I was the one being the oldest child that was going to serve this country who had given my family everything, the freedom to, to make our own, you know, um, path and, and businesses and, you know, the education, everything that we have here, people take so for granted because, again, life is easy here and, and um, easy times breed um, easy people. And, and those folks tend to not see how blessed we truly are. And we end up, as we see now, um, tragically wasting so much time when we could be working together uh, to, to, you know, achieve really wonderful things in advanced society. Instead, we're, we're all busy fighting each other. So I just I always grew up seeing that. And, and you know, even as a um, uh, Arab, you know, I, I got harassed and picked on and, and called all kinds of names, but never, you know, I never cared. I, I just, I always knew where I came from. I knew what the truth was and, and I never let anybody else's words, you know, tell me who I was or who, what I was going to be. If anything, those things made me 
work even harder. Um, but I just, I just had it in my head. Like I am, uh, I didn't know, uh, what I was going to do in the military. I knew I was going to join the military, um, after school. And my mom's thing was like, please go to college. Like every parent, right? Why? <laughs> I don't know. Just go. <laughs> uh, but I knew that, uh, that I would be joining the military. And, uh, when I had the chance, um, I had read, uh, one of my roommates in college, um, he, kind of kind of funny he was the, the biggest fan of prince which gave me an appreciation for how amazing that guy's music is now i'm a big fan of that guy it's just unbelievable but he also loved military history books and so i read this book that he had had and it, um it was about a, a seal uh corpsman or a seal medic in vietnam and um you know they're just those stories uh, they they spoke to me i i I grew up, my family, like I said, my father was a pilot, but all of his relatives, all my uncles and, and cousins, they were all doctors and surgeons and, you know, physicians of some sort. And so medicine always intrigued me. In fact, when I was in school, I was doing my pre-med requisites, but I just, I, I, the thought of working in a hospital to me would have been death. I'm an outside creature. I need to go play in the dirt and, you know, run in the grass. And I'm just, I'm so much happier outside. And so after reading that book, I was like, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go be a medic for the SEAL teams and, and um, you know, take care of those folks. And uh, that's what I did. <clears throat> so you made a decision. It was uh, Navy was where you focused. And, the, and then uh, you had to go through regular boot camp and uh, SEAL training, everything. Just like even though you're a medic, you have to go through the same kind of training everybody else uh, goes through as a, as a, yeah, so, a so special operation. For my pipeline, um, I, I'm, you know, lifelong surfer, windsurfer, spear fisherman, like I love the ocean. And so uh, when I went to the recruiter's office, obviously there's, you know, Army and Air Force and Marines and, and Navy. But like I said, I'd read that book. So I, I knew hey, I'm going to go talk to this Navy guy. And they had a program called Die Fair program in which you, um, my pipeline was, uh, I went to what's called uh, obviously boot camp. But after that, you go to a, a basic medical school to, to earn your rating as a corpsman. Um, and then I was in this program called uh, Prebus, which was like a prep to go to uh, SEAL training in, in Coronado. And at the time, they were so in the Navy, you have ratings or jobs, uh, right? And so my rating is HM Hospital Corpsman. And at, at the time, to go be a SEAL, um, you could have any one of like 20 ratings or something. Uh, but what was happening in the community is that guys would say get a rating as a, a torpedo mate or a boatswain mate, you know, guys that paint ships and keep them running and, you know, all this stuff. But they never would do those duties in their job. They were doing SEAL stuff, right? So when they were taking advancement tests, these guys were suffering. They weren't advancing because they knew nothing about tor torpedoes and you know boats. They, they knew SEAL stuff. And so SEAL was on its way to becoming its own rating. And they, um, they gave an option to us in, the, in this prep program that, hey, if you want to uh, have SEAL as a rating, obviously, you're going to drop the rating you have, and then you're going to go off the buzz and do your thing. Um, however, comma, if you want to do some of these other things, you should probably stay in that rating. And then this is the pipeline you take. And so I wanted to stay as a, as a medic, a corpsman. Um, and so I was then, uh, I went to Navy uh, dive school, uh, to learn to be a, a deep sea diver and then get trained in dive medicine. And then conversely through that, you learn about high altitude medicine and, and all you know, kind of stuff. And then you go to, there's a bunch of other courses in the special operations pipeline that, that, you know, provided by the army, the Navy, I mean, joint service training. So you end up doing probably a, a good two years of training. 
Um, and then you finally get to uh, a unit. So were you deployed immediately after that? or uh... No, no. So when I first got, uh, my first time I deployed, um, uh, man, that was a long time ago. It was a 90, end of 97. Um, and that was just uh, what we call Westpac. You get on a ship and you go visit a bunch of cool ports. And it was such an awesome experience. It was, uh, it was you know, obviously a, a dream of mine to, to experience that. And I'm so happy that I got to do it. That's the party time that you were referring to, right? That was party right. time for sure. <laughs> when you're in Thailand and the Philippines and Hawaii and Guam and all these great places, you're doing a lot of work. But, you know, there is certainly some time, at, uh, you know, at night or during, you know, off days where you can get to go experience and see these amazing countries and um, and, and you know, some of them, the, the, the people like in Thailand were just so amazing and, and you know, great experiences as, as a young person to help mold you into the person that you become. Right. Um, and like you said, lots of, lots of playtime. So those are, those are great experiences, but obviously as you can imagine back then there was, there wasn't much happening. So you end up, you know, going to countries and, and sitting around, you know, training, I, I say sitting around facetiously, but you end up training with other partner units, um, you know, to, to, you know, share lessons, learned, training tactics, um, you know, forge relationships, uh, you know, with your other partner forces and, it wasn't obviously until after 9-11 where the deployments became uh, more serious in nature. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, then, you know, you're, you're partying in, in Thailand and Guam, and all of a sudden you're like, uh, Elias, uh, we're, you were going to Afghanistan. <laughs> and it's a, it's a little bit of a different type of uh, scenery there, right? Yeah, for, for me, it was uh, – so I ended up um, – Coming back to Maryland, my mother uh, was unfortunately terminally ill with cancer. And so I ended up getting um, assigned to the Naval Hospital in Bethesda to, to do clinical rotations, but also to affect my ability to be closer uh, to my family and, and do what I could, to, you know, support, obviously. And uh, while I was there, um, so my mother passed away and, and um, you know, months later, I, I was um, walking with a, with a congressman, actually. Uh, I worked in a... a Part of the rotation I was doing was uh, this office where we would help, you know, presidential, vice presidential staff, cabinet members, Congress, Senate, whoever uh, from the government that would need medical care to, to help facilitate their care. And um, I remember looking up at the TV and seeing the, the second plane hit the towers. I was like, what in the heck? You know, what is going on? I just come out of a medical appointment. Obviously, there's a massive group of people around. And as soon as I realized what was happening, I was like, shit, I know where I'm going, you know, like I'm just waiting on the call. And sure enough, uh, you know, first thing was they, they sent us to New York to, you know, help, but obviously there was, there's not much help to be had and came back home and um, ended up going to uh, a unit and, and deploying. So I actually got to deploy on the Navy hospital ship comfort, which was, was really uh, a great experience. Got to work in the, what they call the casualty receiving, almost like an emergency room um, and ended up doing some medevac flights as well. So uh, that was a, that was a, an interesting um, eye-opening experience, if you will, to, to see, you know, to go from trauma in the ER, I worked at the ER at the Naval Hospital as well, um, you know, where you're seeing mostly motor vehicle accidents, uh, maybe, you know, some stabbing or, you know, gun violence thing, or, you know, those were few and far between the majority of the people you see would, would be elderly patients that, you know, were having some type of cardiovascular issue or, you know, very benign cases, if you will, um, not exciting as far as like what I was seeking. 
And then obviously being there where you're seeing the injuries of war, you're like, okay, now, now I'm learning stuff, you know? And, and so that was a, those are for me, it ended up being a really crucial part of my development as, as a medic to, to be in support of the people I eventually uh, were, was attached to um, and, and to be able to, to, to almost compartmentalize what you were doing so that it didn't have like a profound emotional effect on you. It was almost like I was working on a car, you know, and um, to, to learn how to get stuff done. So uh, that was a great experience before going back to the support the SEAL teams. Yeah. And then, and then I think, it, you know, it's an interesting analogy. You, you get in this flow and you, you're not even thinking it's a human being and all that stuff doesn't really penetrate deep you sort of suppress it because you're in this moment. And then when you're done, now all that stuff comes up. And now you have to deal with it physically. You have to deal with it emotionally. And uh, I'm leading to the question of seven sages, like sort of how how you, how you uh, started uh, seven sages. What was the impetus be behind that? And uh, was that something to do with your own uh, experiences and then seeing what you can do to sort of support yourself and then your brothers and sisters who are also with you in the military and who weren't getting the kind of support that you may, uh, that may you have considered you, you may need with some of the, you know, alternative treatments or traditional uh, therapeutics that Seven Sages provides. Yeah. So I think, you know, for me, um, obviously I've shared this with you and, and my, as I entered the, the cannabis space and, and you were one of the first people I met and uh, an awesome Sherpa, if you will, helped introduce uh, me to even more people and deepen my understanding. You know, for me, when we think about now as a civilian, obviously I have, I have far more opportunity to, to try things that military service members are not allowed to try. Even just CBD, it's ridiculous. Um, because e even though, um, you know, it, it may not help one guy. It might really benefit some, right? Like you say, everything is personal and, and we all interact differently with those uh, cannabinoids. And I know some people that, that take, you know, CBD off the shelf and it works amazingly for them. And for me, it does nothing, you know? So I, I wanted to understand the space. Um, I wanted to learn more about how these things can help people because for my, uh, just to share about one of my injuries in, in 2007, um, I was um, essentially standing on a, a structure that ended up being a bomb. Um, they rig houses as IEDs and we call them houseborne IEDs. Um, this uh, thing exploded uh, nearby where we were and uh, you know, obviously threw me to the ground, dazed me for, for a quick second. Um, I don't know that I, I fully lost consciousness, but I certainly woke up like, you know, did the <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> Check yourself. Check yeah. yourself. But uh, we were we were um, in the mountains, and so at altitude, already dehydrated, physically exhausted, and just had um, ended up, you know, fracturing part of my face. Just the most insane headache I've ever ever experienced, and um, yeah, I ended up understanding that that was what migraines feel like. I'd never had one before, uh, and unfortunately for me, it never went away. Um, about two years into suffering with this thing quietly. And, and again, the reason I did so uh, was not because of anyone telling me, hey, you suck it up. It was just my personal, um, at the time, decision. You know, I was a, um, a support guy uh, to a place that I worked really hard to get to. And I wasn't about to raise my hand and say, I'm hurt because I was afraid at the time that like, okay, thanks for playing, like go back to the regular 
SEAL teams or Navy or whatever. Um, I, I really enjoyed the, the stresses of um, the job and, and obviously loved the people I supported like family and, and didn't want to go. So I kept it to myself. Um, a few deployments later and, and a couple years down the road, my wife is the one that actually said like, hey, man, I don't know if the, you know, this new Elias is, is the result of, of war uh, or if something's going on, like what is going on? And I literally would be home for, you know, a few days at a time, maybe a few weeks if I was lucky. As a medic, um, you know, when the different parts of your group are training, I, I would either go partake or, or support medically those trainings wherever they were. So while my, you know, platoon that I might deploy with was home resting, I was out with another one. So I was just always on the move. And when I was home, I didn't want to waste time going to the doctor. And I know that sounds horrible coming from a medical provider, but I just, I wanted to be with my wife and kids, you know, to, to see them. And, um, but I didn't realize that I was just radiating, you know, anger or tension, whatever it was. I never yell, you know, never lay a hand on my, my wife or children. But, you know, my wife would say, like, I can see a storm in your eyes and we can all feel it. You know, not that, you know, they, they revolve around me, but she said, you know, you're like the sun in our universe and you're off right now. So we're all off. <laughs> like, we got to figure this out. And so I came clean. I said, hey, listen, I've been struggling uh, 24-7, you know since two years ago with this just insane headache, I feel like my head is going to explode. And so she was like, look, dude, you, you're always taking care of everybody else and telling everybody else the things they should go do. Like, what is your deal? Uh, you got to go take care of this. Uh, you know, so I did, uh, I went and talked to my command surgeon, who was someone that I'd spent years and years with we kind of came up together from different command until we arrived at damn neck together. And, um, you know, I knew I could trust him and, and not be worried about getting booted. So I just told him, hey, man, I got this crazy headache and what's going on. So over the next nine years, I tried 42 different pills, many of them off-label, right? Again, the you know, doctors would say, hey, um, I exhausted all the traditional headache and migraine medicines and, you know, did the Botox injections and none of the stuff even touched my headache. So in my head, I'm like, look, you know, I... I was very close to an explosion and, you know, that blast wave, God knows what it does to every little cell in your body. It can't be good. Maybe this is just the price I pay from here on out from having done this work. And if that's it, I'm, I'm okay with it. Like I will learn to, you know, I, I've already done it for two years. I, I can do it for more. And so in that nine year process of trying all those different pills and some of them, you know, like the, the neurologist would say, Hey, you know, my bipolar or schizophrenic patients say, their headaches go away when they take this stuff. And again, I'm thinking like, yeah, maybe it's because they're not having schizophrenic symptoms or, you know, like, but I promised my wife, I would try everything. I would find out from the doctor, what was the minimum time efficacy for any one sort of pill that they were suggesting. And so if they said, try this within two weeks, we should know whether it's going to help you or not. And, and then we can get off of them. But a lot of those pills, when we talk about like SSRIs, for example, they change your neurochemistry where getting off them can be a months, months, months long process to, to avoid withdrawals. And even with that, I still had times where I literally felt like I was dying. I was like, man, this stuff is, this is not good for me. And so I just, I said, no more pills. I'm done. I tried. Um, I uh, found more relief in, um, you know, acupuncture and breath work. And, you know, it was, was really lucky and fortunate to meet some folks who I'm going to give a shout out to. If, if you don't know who Ryan McKenzie or Rob Wilson are, Art of Breath, 
Um, you know, now they they are uh, doing uh, this program state. They have the shift breath work program. It's it's really incredible stuff. Um, they work with the best athletes in the world. Currently doing a lot of stuff with UFC, and so I would recommend going to check them out uh, if you suffer from from headaches or stress, anxiety, because breath work just in its own can really yield some amazing benefits. And so I was finding more relief with with that uh, than the pills. Fast forward to my retirement, um, like I mentioned earlier, lifelong surfer, and you know a lot of my buddies are professional sailors or kiteboarders or surfers, skiers, you name it. And, and in those worlds, cannabis is just part of the culture. And um, being in the military for 22 years, I never once considered cannabis as a medicine. Um, you know, it's something obviously we were drug tested all the time for, especially with our security clearances. Like <laughs> I felt like I was getting drug tested every couple of weeks. Even when we were deployed, they started sending guys to drug test us and hair follicle test us. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's silly, but um, uh, I never even thought of it as a medicine. And, and here I am literally a week out of, uh, you know, the military um, at a party. And one of my friends is like, Hey man, you don't have to leave now because every time that they would break out the weed, I'd be like, peace, you know, it's good to see you guys. I got to go. Uh, I didn't even want to risk you know, any of that in my system, um, you know, risk my entire career. So, um, you know, I take this tiny little puff of a joint. I cough, you know, like a madman, provide everybody with a great laugh, but for me very profoundly about five minutes later, my headache was not just improved, it was gone. And so, um, again, like profound is the only word I can think of. I was just in my head, like, what, what is going on right now? Am I high? You know, like I went and asked my wife, I'm like, am I acting funny? funny? Am, I, am I like, you know, am I high? And she's like, no, you know, like, and you're thinking I was joking. She's joking back. Like that puff was pathetic. There's no way you're high this and that, you know, like, but I told her, Hey, my headache's gone. And then it started this whole back and forth. Like, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. No, really? Yes. Yeah. Back and forth. And so immediately in my head, I started thinking about one, all the guys and gals and their families that I've taken care of over the years and thinking like, Oh my God, this could help that guy and this girl and that guy, you know, but then I also needed to understand it. Hence where you and I met, you know, I, I wanted to go out to the people that had knowledge functional knowledge in the space that had been deeply involved, uh, and especially on the genetic and scientific side of things, uh, to understand why metabolically or neurochemically, why did I get relief from, you know, a drug, if you will, uh, a party drug, whatever you want to uh, call it, when you think about it from a, a college uh, standpoint, which is the only experience I had had up to that point a few times in college, you know, to, to outperforming actual medicine you know, that doctors are readily willing to, to throw your way. And so I just started learning so much and, and how beneficial these products and, and how much clinical data, especially out of Israel, exists on the efficacy and benefits of these compounds uh, for various things. And so um, I knew that I needed to do something to develop a company or products that could benefit people that I cared about that were still either putting themselves in harm's way or, you know, are now retired dealing with uh, a whole host of issues. And so that's what happened. Yeah. It's such a great story. And I am so grateful for you to, to share that because, you know, I was in a panel speaking with uh, a, so I'll just say somebody from the VA, somebody high up in the V in the VA and we were speaking, I am obviously pro-cannabis. They were very anti-cannabis. 
doing the same, you know, uh, big pharma push. Well, show us clinical trials, show us double blind, you know, placebo. Yes. And I'm trying to explain that we didn't have those because it's illegal and it, it didn't matter. So uh, talk was over. <clears throat> I'm standing there talking to a few people. I get a tap on my back and it's uh, the, the woman that was uh, on the panel. And she's like, yeah, hi. And she was very cordial and nice. She's like, I want to find out a little bit more about cannabis. I was like, yeah, but we, you were just saying something completely different when we were on stage. She's like, uh, that's the official policy. Uh, uh, the unofficial policies, we're looking into it and we're trying to see. And I'm like, you guys need to give this medicine to the people because, and I'm, I'm using this as a segue, physical pain is one thing, but and it's not only cannabis. I want to bring in other substances as well. And we talk to uh, athletes a lot about this. And we had, uh, you know, we had like Darren McCarty, who was uh, an enforcer, a fighter in the NHL, four-time Stanley Cup uh, champion. Monster. And then, yeah, exactly. And, and I watched this uh, Ice Guardians and uh, uh, Riley Cote was on, which uh, you guys will hear. I didn't, I didn't uh, uh, post the, the podcast yet, but it's this whole notion of being in fight all the time and then being able to then calm down. It does something neurologically to you as well. So having a substance that allows you to be able to, yes, physically, but also emotionally uh, to be able to address those needs. And then uh, you and I had these conversations. And by the way, if there's anything that you want me not to ask or we no, can no. edit out anything you want, but you, we had a conversation about military personnel uh, going through deep depression and, uh, you know, suicide and all these other things and looking at discovering other substances. I mean, these are these are men and women that risk their lives for us. Why would we not allow them everything? Open up the the herbal medicine closet and give them every single thing that they can possibly do to be able to treat whatever they're going through, uh, whether it's ketamine, whether it's uh, psilocybin, whether it's cannabis, combinations of all those things. It, it's it's extremely, extremely important. So I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit more about, you know, these things that people go through that are retired uh, military that have the physical ailments, but also the mental health issues. And what can we do to help those people with, you know, what's available in, in our medicine cabinets? Yeah, great, great question. That's, I mean, it's 100% what I'm, I'm focused on. Obviously, I want to build an amazing business so the shareholders win and, and I can, you know, provide some financial freedom for my family. But ultimately, it's to ensure that we help provide opportunities for employment, some off ramps for, for people coming out of that world, uh, but also products that can really support them. And so, you know, when you think about, I mean, there's there's a lot that folks struggle with, and and I can only speak to my my story. Uh, but I know being the the go to, you know, I developed in 20 years, uh, really brotherhood, like a bond beyond what most people would even understand with their family members or, or close friends. Uh, there's something about um, the the bonds of war, if you will, when you when you go through things like that with people that you you love. Uh, more than your own life. Um, you know, those are really special relationships. And and I was the, and still continue to be uh, the confidant for a lot of these folks. Um, a lot of guys are, um, you know, worried about, and, you know, just to, to caveat on the VA thing, um, you know, if you say, 
for example, um, that you want to go to um, a therapy for, there's a group called Vets, uh, founded by a, a prior teammate. Um, I, I don't know him very well, but but knew of him at the command. His name is Mark Scapone. And he's developed this program to de- uh, you know generate charity funds to send veterans to psychedelic therapies and and or um you know help to facilitate introductions into research studies at Stanford or Hopkins or whatever and the results i've seen from guys that have and gals that have gone to that are profound um you're talking about people that that literally will have you know 40 active prescriptions at any one point in time because the VA model and, and this is pretty standard across all of medicine, I believe it, you know, and not to sound like, you know, you, you can get dismissed as a conspiracy theorist when you start talking about the, the pull of big pharma. But I really feel like that's the problem. Uh, we have this model in which people are encouraged to give out opioids or other pain medicines and you name it uh, here, shovel it out, like send them bagfuls of the stuff. Um, but if you dare mention psychedelics or cannabis, you're, you're like, oh, you shouldn't do that. You know, just recently. I was trying to, to uh, turn on my school benefits. And to do that, you have to, you know, see a, a VA, um, uh, a psychologist and a medical board. They have to say that medically you're fit to go to school, psychologically you're fit to go to school. And this psychologist who I, you know, I'm talked to over a chat, um, she never looked up at the, the screen. She was, you know, down, head down typing and just asking me these questions. Um, and she, you know, asked like, have you heard about that stuff those veterans are doing out in California? Like, don't go do that. You know, this is like, yeah, no, don't worry about it. I won't do it. It's those California veterans only, man. <laughs> yeah, we'll write about it right away. I'm like, yeah, shame on those guys for for working with Stanford Neurology and doing a clinical, you know, look at the efficacy of Ibogaine or whatever it might be, you know. It's just, you know, to me, there's there's real benefit in uh, a lot of these more natural substances. Um, you know, God put them on this earth for a reason. And we can see so much benefit um, that people have. Again, just from an anecdotal perspective, I know these guys. I've known them for decades. And I've I've been worried and concerned about a lot of them. I get calls like, hey man, I, I don't I don't want to live anymore. Like I don't know who else to call, what else to do. And you end up going and spending a, a night with your buddy crying and laughing and you're just doing everything you can to get them to, to see, um, you know, that there are things worth living for. But you get to a place of hopelessness, um, at least, again, speaking of my own experience, you you are very low on the priority list for healthcare. Um, the VA system is absolutely overwhelmed and it's, you know, it's broken. I know there's some great VA providers out there, so don't be mad at me if you're from the VA. Uh, but the system needs a, a massive overhaul. And, you know, again, bureaucracy in the U.S. government, I, I don't I don't have a lot of faith that that's ever going to get fixed because the government will just mess. They'll find a way to mess something good up. Um, so that's the that's the world in which you have to operate it. And so you, you deal like I mentioned on my, uh, you know, my back issue this last year, I injured myself in June and I didn't get surgery until December. And when she finally went in there. You know, she pulled out this hunk of my disc and bone and was showing it off in pictures like she had, you know, like, look at this baby. It's huge. I can't believe you're walking. Um, so, you know, leading up to that, I mean, there was a point as a healthcare provider, I, I'm lucky in that a lot of the injuries my buddies have have been, you know, affected with. I've also, you know, felt those broken body parts and, and nerve damage. And so I could really empathize and relayed. And, and, you know, Len, you know me, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but I, I believe like I'm the type of empath where 
I carry other people's pain. Like it keeps me up at night because I, I, I can't stop thinking about what else can I do to help this person or their family, you know? And, and um, it, it's, it's, it's frustrating in that you have these people, like you said, that have, have given everything, uh, their heart and soul and body in defense of, you know, whatever the U.S. says, go do. Obviously, we're on the pointy end of the stick. We go do it. Uh, and whether you're conventional or special operations, you know, a lot of people end up with with bumps and bruises. But in the special operations community specifically, those are the only people that are actively going out offensively many times every night when they're deployed uh, to go get missions done. And again, that comes with a great cost. And so I, I feel like we should do so much better uh, to help care for those folks and open up any, you know, thing that might help them. Um, and a lot of, you know, like you'll talk to VA folks and they'll deride these things as, oh, it's placebo or this. Or that. Hey, if they're making him feel better, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> like, give it to the guy, you know? Yeah. But we're now seeing clinical evidence of the benefit of psychedelics. You know, all the party idiots in the 60s and 70s mess it up for us, you know? And uh, <laughs> of course, all the, the overreaching laws come in. But, you know, they're, they're I think, you know, these things deserve a clinical look. They deserve to have the efficacy proven so that doctors can potentially choose that as a pathway for people or that they can be legalized so that people have the opportunity to use this. Instead, the current system is you get essentially you go to the, you know, the authorized drug dealers that are pushing their, you know, prescription garbage. Um, and that's, you know, to be fair, there's a lot of prescription medicine out there that is 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 fantastic and it helps people live better lives. Um, but a lot of the stuff in the realm of pain specifically is, you know, it's just toxic garbage. And, and a lot of it creates even worse problems, dependency, you know, suicide, just bad things. I, you know, we've, we're all aware of it. So I just feel like we should do better. I mean, we're smart enough as a species to be able to evolve and adapt and, and to, to see the benefit of things. Why not actively employ them to help people live better lives? Yeah, hundred uh... percent. Um, and I'm super grateful <clears throat> for being adopted as a, uh, quasi brother, because what I remember you Very said much. when I was traveling, uh, somewhere in some interesting place in the world, that you were telling me that there, there may be some people that had eyes on me just to make sure I was okay. We got so I appreciate that. <laughs> Even the um, what, what, thank you. What's, what's the logo of, uh, seven sages? What's, what's the actual logo? Yeah. So I'll show you a box here. I'll show you since your, your partner loves it so much. We, we got a uh, little Osprey there. Uh, so Kimberly, how do you feel about the little Osprey, uh, bird? Uh, is, does that trigger anything for you? I just think <laughs> that birds are animals that are like in control and we just need to watch out. <laughs> did you watch uh, an Alfred Hitchcock movie lately or something? No, I did watch this show on Netflix called Zoo in which the animals become sentient and come for us. Ooh. Oh. See, maybe that's yeah. the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's so so you're having some issues with some birds. Yeah. And it was the bird episode specifically where I'm like they have the best chance <laughs> of taking us taking us down. <laughs> Not the fish, well, not the giraffes, none of them. It's the birds. You know how many birds there are? No. How many? There are so many birds. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to give us a number. I was like, 
Yeah. Tell me how many. There was I was curious. Well, There's a lot of there are a lot of birds. If any animal wanted to come for us in a coordinated attack, <laughs> it would be the birds. Well, so you were saying that birds are like the oldest uh, dinosaur uh, sort of descendant, right? Someone just sent me some looking bird that looks like a dinosaur and a turkey together. <laughs> That's still alive. I think, I think, and, and somebody can correct me out there. I, I believe that like reptiles and the gators and lizards are birds. They, well, no, I think they were the original uh, dinosaurs. And then some of them got wings and started to fly. So you have like flying lizards. The other way around. Is it the other way around? Yeah. Right. Well, somebody somebody correct me. And have them straighten her out. <laughs> I know. Somebody's got to correct me uh, on that. But, uh, uh, yeah, I was just. What uh, does the osprey what, mean to you? Uh, it's a it's a water eagle essentially. I, I just I love uh, being in and around the ocean, the bay, and they are uh, essentially fish hawks. And just you see them out and about um, in the the tidal areas, and I just think they're beautiful, beautiful birds. So that's why I picked it. Well, you would love my patio because there is a hawk right now, just ass <laughs> staring at me. Maybe he and just heard what you said. He's calling his buddies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's like, hey, I got one that's scared of us. Get over here. <laughs> yes. And it has been here for a year and a half because it's the highest tree. And that's I just awesome. watch. Lucky you. Yeah. Hawk is cool. So cool. First of all, it's an amazing spirit animal. And when I go hike, I always see a hawk following me around. And yes. I feel that's, that's my spirit animal looking out for me. So this hawk is looking out for you. Between that Is and the it, hummingbirds, I have so many people watching out for me. So you gotta, you gotta watch out for the hummingbirds. The hummingbirds they're, are aggressive. they can be dangerous. Oh, if you're no, a flower, <laughs> exactly. If you have nectar, yeah, yeah they're aggressive. <laughs> That's hysterical. Oh. All right, I have a, I have a, I have a question uh, for you, uh, Eli. Um, I was hanging out years ago. I was hanging out in New Orleans with these uh, uh, special forces guys. They were one of them was next roommate of uh, the friend I was with, and they were telling me they can make a stun gun out of a disposable camera. Is this true, or is this a rumor, or they're just trying to mess with me because we were drinking a lot of those New Orleans hurricanes? So it could be. Have you ever heard of anything like that? I'm sure someone (laughs) somewhere has figured out how to make this deadly you know it's like i don't know they they went to different training than i did (laughs) got it that's funny all right so um i have some questions to ask oh my guess he kind of answered the first one already but uh i'm gonna ask i'm gonna ask maybe uh i'm gonna ask it differently than i than i do uh everybody else uh so the first question is please describe your first experience with cannabis but you've kind of given us your first, like you took a, uh, a hit and you had an experience where your headache went away, but was there a next experience where you actually consumed cannabis and had a, an experience? Yeah. I mean, to, to look back on the college days, um, you know, I was, like I said, I'm, I'm an outside person. So, and a lot of my friends wanted to go, you know, party and, and, you know, hang out at some frat house or house party or something. I was about getting in the car and driving to the beach to surf the next morning or go windsurf or, or something. And so I, I didn't really um, enjoy it really as I do now. I, I remember, you know, I smoked a, a handful of times with a, with a good buddy 
and sure enough had fun, but, um, it was never anything that I felt like I, you know, this is something that I can do to, to relax or, or, you know, balance my, my body. I, obviously none, none of that stuff occurred to me at the time. So yes, the very profound experience I had a few years back where I'm like, oh my gosh, my headache's gone. Um, but, but really aside from that, it would just be a couple little puffs here and there just to, to dial my headache down. I have a you know, pretty good system now. And thank God, Virginia just went legal last year. So, yeah. yep. um, you know, I'm not risking everything to, to, you know, be desperately seeking relief, but really the first time I ever experienced cannabis socially was with you in Malibu at that house. Remember? <laughs> yeah. um, and that was really amazing. Is this think- your friend? Dude, that was that was amazing, though. That was so much fun. Yeah. I will never forget that. Yeah. No, no, no. This that's is my, my this is that's, yeah. uh, that's Eli's uh, friend's house. Okay, uh, but the house, just to explain how how it was, it's on the ocean. So you will actually walk down the steps and you can jump right in the ocean, which <laughs> which Eli did. You may have done. But you know what, you know, aside from the the benefit where I, I mean, there's truly a medicinal aspect to this for me. Um, It may be different for other folks, but just speaking from my own experience, but, but what's really magical about the social aspect of cannabis is something that I continue to to seek. And it's really, it's almost like with psychedelics, right? Set in setting. If I'm going to smoke, you know, cannabis with, with friends, I want to be around people I love and that I want to be around. And it just, it's like, you know, it's, I don't know. It's like the conversations are, are deeper. The music is yeah. brighter. The food is better. I mean, it's just, it's such a, a, a tribal thing and coming from the special operations community, it's something I miss dearly, the, the tribal aspect of our little family, you know? And so um, those times where you can, when you could do that with cannabis are, are really magical. I love them. And Kimberly and I talk about this all the time with, uh, you know, with, with COVID or wherever we are with COVID, I, I have no idea. It's over. It's over. Yeah, mid-terms, thank you. Midterms are coming up. Oh, it's thank you. So <laughs> that's right. Midterm elections. I didn't think yeah. about it. No more All right, bro. Good. Yeah, now that's it's Russia it's done, again. So. It's Russia. Yes. I knew I liked you, Eli. I knew I liked you. <laughs> Wake we, up, everyone. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask a question about that. I have to ask a question about that. Uh, but uh, sharing the joint, uh, what we used to do, share. It's such a community building thing. Like you build this relationship with somebody that you smoke the joint. And I talk about anywhere to travel, you consume cannabis with somebody and it's like builds this sort of relationship. And what you said is super, super interesting and important. And the set and setting with cannabis, I think this energy thing, and, and there is no genetic test for us to prove that yet, but this is just an internal feeling that I had over many, many years. It's, it's this energy. If you're, if you're consuming cannabis with a group and you just have people that you love, people are vibrating at your frequency, it's an amazing experience. If there is somebody or a couple of people that are sort of off your frequency and you're consuming, that sets off a different experience. You can feel it. And I've had to breathe through certain experiences with some people. I think you hit the nail on the head. It's this relationship of alignment. And if somebody's misaligned, they may have a pretty intense experience and you start feeling their energy back and forth. I really like what you said there. It makes total sense. I wish there was a test we could we could do for that to figure out what it is. But uh, just everybody listen to that voice in your gut. Like, you know, do you, I'm finding as I'm, I'm continuing to, uh, you know, grow along the tooth here, so to speak, age and life, uh, the circle I want to be around continues to shrink. Right. 
Um, especially with, you know, what we've seen with COVID and, and politics and, and just, you know, how horrible people are to each other. Why would you want that energy in your life? You know? And so, yeah. um, cannabis, again, I, I think one of the things that it does almost, it reminds me of, of, um, psilocybin in a way, and that it's almost like you, you're just allowed to shed your ego and be you with your, with your people. Right. And, and most of the people, like I said, in that circle, they know you already. So you're already starting from a great place and it just makes that experience that much better. I think. Yeah. You, you know, you just, you just said something so profound that, that triggered something in my, in my mind. It's the, when you're, when you're around new people, and you're you know consuming cannabis, and there's something that's misaligned. You start fearing that they're going to see through through whatever facade that you're putting out there your true self. So that fear and anxiety comes up because you have to shed your ego, and you're you're having an internal fight about having people see you. And that, that's why I think a lot of people, besides being genetically predisposed to stress, reactivity, anxiety, I think some people struggle with that because they really don't want anybody to see their, their true self uh, in that sense. Yeah, really, you're really you're, you're the expert, right? I mean, there, there are also the, the accentuation, if you will, of, of anxiety that you may, you may be prone that if, you're, you're, if cannabis is in your body, like those are going to be expressed more than they would yep. without it, right? And so... <laughs> Yeah, it's, yep. you know, that, that's another thing too. You, you, you bring up a great point or make me think of it is that um, in times when I have had social experiences with folks, um, just like, you know, a bad drinker, so to speak, you know, when you're, you have that one buddy or, or, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend that, you know, just becomes a blithering idiot when they drink and you're just like, <laughs> why do I go out with this person? I've seen the same thing with cannabis sometimes. I'm like, no, this is not for me. I just want to, <laughs> be happy right now and laugh and yep. listen to awesome music and, and talk and have some great story time. But um, yeah, I, I keep, a, I keep a mental checklist. If, and sometimes I, you know, if it's really good weed, I'm like, I gotta write this down in my phone. Like there you <laughs> go. Right with Joe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you just segue to our next question, music. So obviously uh, I, I know you're a music guy. I'm, uh, uh, I'm a big music guy. Kimberly is a, a, a Hey, by the way, Kimberly, I have to ask you a question. Uh, you know how I say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, when I introduce uh, the podcast, do I have to amend that? You're you're my go-to when it comes. I'm I'm very inappropriate when it comes to pronouns and all that stuff. I'm finding out, so I'm just asking Kimberly. She's my go-to on that. Can you correct me? Uh, the way I, I, I need to introduce. I mean, program. I guess you could say ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everyone in between and not. <laughs> Is that OK? Am I OK, though? Am I going to well, get I just wouldn't address out? it. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I second that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So music question. Uh, yeah. What was the what was the first concert you ever attended? Ooh, you remember? Good one. What was the first concert I ever attended? Um, it might have been Ozfest. All right, yeah, a long time ago. Obviously, wow. <laughs> like we had, you know, wild hardcore. Love music, oh. at all. Most most of the stuff, like I'd go to. Um, I love reggae and blues, and uh, I love um, classic rock, hard rock. I mean, I just love music. I mean, there's country music. Uh, I like, so um, I just if I mean, there's music I listen to. 
uh, I love drums, drumming. And so I've been getting really into listening to um, percussion from like, say, Africa or Europe or Australia. I mean, there's so many different styles of music, um, Middle Eastern, um, Indian, just listening to the, the different, you know, percussion instruments. And, and um, I can't understand what <laughs> anyone's saying on those songs, but the music can still, you can still feel it, right? And and uh, I, I just love that about music. Recently, my daughter, as you know, is, is this aspiring little rock star. She's an amazing uh, guitarist, bassist, drummer, singer. Um, she, she performs at the School of Rock here in Virginia. And, and um, you know, in her journey, um, she's now gone more towards uh, like Slipknot and, you know, uh, Tool, which I love. Tool is amazing. Uh, probably my favorite band. I, I don't love most hard. I wouldn't even consider that hard rock. It's almost like there are uh, generations Led Zeppelin. They're just on a whole nother level. Musical expression is off the charts. And Danny Carey, their drummer, is he's an alien, man. That guy is something else. Uh, we actually just saw them in D.C. Um, last week. Uh, you know, I'm sitting there with my 14-year-old daughter and her 14-year-old buddy and, and then his dad and it, it, it was hands down. Uh, I'm giving these guys a huge plug, but the best show I've ever seen. Uh, the sound guy was on point. Um, you know, like a lot of concerts you go to, there's such an overwash of, of noise, right? That they got everything turned up way too high. You can't even understand the singer most of the time. These guys are pro, pro, pro. Like, you know, you hear all the time there's levels to the game, right? Those guys are, they're on another level. Everything was perfect. The light show was crazy. It was just, a, it was a really fun experience. So a tool, uh, you're talking tool, right? Yep. Uh, I believe so, tool was my first college concert. There you that's go. That's so cool. I am paying so, for the ticket, but. <laughs> <laughs> you got invited. And but, you were probably like, these guys rock. This is kind of cool. There, there's, there's a, there's a there cannabis tie-in. But go ahead. Uh, <laughs> There's a cannabis tie into this. So Maynard actually had to have hip replacement surgery because when he performs, he he taps his like mm -hmm. slams his leg in the ground all the time. If you got if you watch, I've I've watched Tool like when they first came out back in the the uh, uh, mid '90s or so. That I, I'm trying to remember who they opened up for, but. Man, this guy's intense and it was so good. And I think I saw him a lot of Palooza too. But through slamming his foot, he actually had to get his hip replaced. Mm. And he was talking about, you know, opioids and all this other stuff. And I think he was talking about he then discovered cannabis and cannabis was helping him heal from his uh, hip replacement surgery. Mm -hmm. Young guy had to get a hip replacement surgery because of. He's rocking out so hard. Yeah, so I'm glad. And they're yeah, still I'll, rocking, I'll, man. Uh, I'll, I'll, every member of the band, I think, is just uh, musically just really great. And and the, I agree. The production aspect of it is really what what uh, I mean. It's better than listening to the album at home, you know. So I can't wait to see him in LA when they come. Yeah, I'm really amazing. If I would highly. If you want to go, if you want to go with me, I'll. Uh, yeah, even if you don't like yeah. rock, I'm telling you, there's something just about how perfect they they Kimberly, pull off. Kimberly likes rock. You know, I think for concerts, it real for me at least, it doesn't really matter what the music is. Yeah, it's just like the energy. Yeah, live, live music. There's nothing like live music. I, I, you're absolutely right. I mean, I I see a show probably once a week, oh, wow. give or take. Now, now that the you know, now that uh, COVID is over, I was just told uh, I'll probably start going more often. That, but one of the worst things about COVID for me was not seeing live live shows. Yeah. I was it was just making me depressed. 
And that was the main thing. Like being outside, yes, I'll go and hike and all that stuff, but not seeing live music. There's something about that connection and energy live music that it's just nothing else compares. You know, what, what, I, what I think, it, it's almost like um, it's the perfect way to see how we're all connected. You know, everyone gets so focused on race and gender and like there's only one it's human we're all human we're all connected everything on this earth i feel um is connected and um you know when you when you go to a music uh event and you see like the crowd rhythmic you know they're all moving together with the rhythm and you know uh at a at a concert like for example at tool that the gentleman that was in front of us i mean he was like having conversations with god or something he was like waving his hands <laughs> to the heavens and you know my daughter was like is he okay i was like he's enjoying this like let him do his thing that's great you know um and you see all of these expressions this outward pouring of emotion and then emotionally the whole crowd it's like they rise together i, I just think it's, it's so neat to see the first time i met lynn was at a live music show it was a funk band and there then he turns go. around and he offers me a joint and he was just like, what terpene do you think is being right now? <laughs> that is Len. That, that was, what? that was, wait, I remember the show. Do you remember the show? No, but it was like some funk band. It was chic with, oh, uh, wow. That's it awesome. was chic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that black. Star. It was like, uh, Thanks, and then you were like, no, Mercine. And I was like, <laughs> Doesn't sound like me at all. No, that's not me. mine. <laughs> uh, all right. What has cannabis meant in your life? Relief. You know, if you talk to most veterans uh, or retired athletes, the thing that most of them are desperately seeking is relief. Um, and using those two communities as an example, um, for me, again, speaking from my experience, and I think most people would, would agree uh, in the path that they've walked out of those worlds, but um, to get to the, the pinnacle of special operations and then be shown the door, uh, you know, for medical reasons was, was a real far fall, uh, if you will, from the top. And, and again, like I mentioned earlier, subconsciously things start turning off and it's like, okay, Hey, buddy, now I'm going to let you start feeling some of the stuff you've done to yourself because uh, there are bills that are coming due and someone's got to pay them. And guess what? It's you, you know, so you start you feeling all this stuff physically. You start to struggle with things emotionally. Uh, you feel very hopeless with how the system's set up to help you. Everything takes forever. And, you know, you you want relief now. Um, and it's different than the immediacy everybody expects with, you know, social media or, or you know, I, I see a cool post. I want that too. And, you know, it's a different that this is, you know, you're talking about your health. And uh, when you're in really high levels of pain or depression or whatever it might be, you want that fixed like ASAP, right? Like you split so you can get back to living or, or, or trying to, to, you know, advance yourself. And, and so, I think ultimately you you end up dealing with with a whole host of issues and coming out of the military um, a bunch more you know uh, no, nothing against everybody out here in the, in the civilian side of things but you know you go from a world in which honor is is everything um, you literally will lay down your life for the people beside you on both sides of you and you're incredibly you know you're loyal um, and then when you come out. A lot of times um, that gets abused by people. They know like, oh, I can take miles and miles and miles from this guy because he just wants to perform. He wants to give. He wants to, um, you know, uh, help. And so that people take. And so you end up 
learning all these new dynamics and struggling with them. And ultimately you get to this point where you're like, yeah, I just want relief. I, you know, still to this day, I, I struggle to sleep because of pain. Um, I can't do a lot of the things I, and again, I'm not uh, trying to have a video where there's plenty of things I still uh, do regardless of pain. Cause I'm just like, I'm, I'm not going to be resigned to my couch or my bed or the floor or wherever I got to lay down for relief. Like, I'm going to go surf. Even if it hurts, I don't care. I need that in my life or go run with my dog or whatever it might be. Um, so ultimately, I mean, long, long answer. I apologize, but it's just relief. People want relief. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah no, it's, it's a great answer. Makes total sense. All right. So bonus question. Uh, please describe what your room looked like growing up. And I know you mentioned you had several rooms and you moved. So pick the one that you think is the most descriptive of you. Yeah. Where you were in your life. Uh I mean, it's still pretty much like the rooms I'm in now, uh, you know, lots of, uh, we got surfboards, uh, you know, skateboards and, and, uh, art and guitars and all kinds of stuff. Um, I just, I, I was real lucky in that, you know, I've always been, um, uh, um, not just a, a dreamer, but like, I've had always really big goals for myself. And then I just could, you know, chase after them. Um, and things that weren't important to me, like school, uh, you know, I didn't fully apply myself. Uh, but things that I love, like tar or drums or surfing or art or, you know, thinking about um, and building opportunities in business to, to, you know, better people like with Seven Sages with a really great product, um, you know, or jobs for folks. Like those are the things I've, I've always been interested in. And I was lucky that my mom... Um, and dad really supported those things. My mom, especially, she's very much was, was like, you know, the, the way I am, I'm, I'm like she is. Um, and so, you know, I remember going to friends' houses and the rooms were very, like, nothing was on the walls. Like mom didn't let him put a thumbtack or piece of scotch tape on with their cool poster or, you know, put broken skateboards on the wall and any of that stuff. And like, you would go look in my room and it was like a bomb exploded in there of fun. You know, it was like the, the room of Stoke. So, um, yeah, that was my rooms. Still no, no, no posters in the wall. Yeah. Plenty of posters when I was growing up. Now I've, I've elevated myself to framed artwork, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but when you, when you grow up, were, were there posters of like, uh, athletes or were there posters more of bands or a combination no, of, I, I don't, posters? I don't want to talk smack on athletes, but I never, <laughs> I never heralded them. Like you're playing a kid's game. Like lucky you you're that's awesome. Good for you, man. Enjoy it. Um, but I never really like looked up to those folks as, as heroes and stuff. For me, it was more the unconventional athlete. Like I had a poster of this guy, Robbie Nash on this old school windsurfer jumping a wave in Hawaii. Um, I, I think every kid in the eighties probably had the poster of the Lamborghini Countach, you know, or the yes. race bike, you know, <laughs> yes. like, uh, skateboarding. I had a lot, a lot of skateboarding, you know, Tony Alva, the whole bones brigade crew. I, I, I loved, loved, loved skateboarding. And so that was probably what dominated my room most. And then um, eventually that was overtaken by, by surfing, probably because as I grew older, those skateboard falls hurt more. They're harder to, to walk <laughs> off, if you will. But uh, I could still I can still take some hits surfing because it's just water. Yeah, I, I, I was not the uh, I was more of the BMX guy oh, than the that probably skateboard hurts worse. guy. Yeah, well, I don't know. I I never got into I never got into skateboarding. It was uh, we rode bikes. Uh, all right. So usually that is my last question, and I but I, I since I have you on and you sort of 
mention it and Kimberly mentioned it too. And since we are where we are in the in the time, and this will be posted uh, soon, so hopefully this this conflict or war will will resolve itself. But I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what's going on in uh, you know Russia, Ukraine kind of area. And by the way, before you answer that question, I just want to emphasize one thing that I meant to say, and I, I gave myself a, a mental bookmark, but I forgot. Uh, so now it's back. Uh, you mentioned this this uh, taking uh, the United States for granted. And I, I be, being an immigrant myself too, I think that that is a one immigrant threat that ties all the people that came here because we came from somewhere else or people that have traveled extensively throughout the world. When they come here, this country has a lot of problems, many problems, a lot of challenges, a lot of things. But man, what an incredible place for an opportunity to have an immigrant who's bullied, who doesn't speak the language, who can learn language and make something out of themselves. You, you know, there's no other place in the world that actually uh, has allows us to do that. I think that a lot of people do take it for granted. So I'm glad you you, you brought that up. But going back to, uh, you know, my question about what what is uh, going on and what your thoughts about that are. Yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously it's, it's a complex issue. Uh, there's multiple layers to it. But um, I believe um, that because we have weak leadership from the Western world, um, it emboldens people like Putin or Z or any of these other, you know, uh, dictators around the world that are looking for opportunities to, you know, land grab or, um, you know, pay some centuries old uh, grudge against someone else because they bow to a different God or believe it different. Who knows what, what the reason is Um, in this situation. You know, I, I think we have um, an opportunity in which uh, Putin or Russia is looking for, and obviously not the Russian people, but uh, the government is looking for an opportunity to control uh, something they believe is theirs, which is Ukraine. They, you know, Putin being an old uh, KGB guy, uh, probably would love to see the old USSR come back and 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 grab some of that stuff. But there are also, you know, financial benefits for for owning that gateway to to Europe, if you will, uh, lots of minerals, um, oil movement, on and on. Um, again, there are multiple layers to it, uh, but I leave. I believe ultimately because uh, we are um, lacking real strong leadership, uh, both here and in Europe, or, or uh, you know, Australia. You look all around the world; it's we all seem to be struggling with the same thing, and, and so that's going to only embolden uh, nefarious actors further to continue, you know, causing chaos and and unfortunately suffering of, of innocent people. Uh, it's just, is is there recourse I, like like and yes, we, we, you know, from from a land grab and you talk about minerals and oil and all those other things and the belief that they should unite and you know maybe uh, that that Crimea sort of dipping the toe in the water and saying, hmm, I'll try that. Nothing happened to me there. Right. I might as well try next. And maybe it'll go after the Baltic countries next, uh, et cetera, with Belarus being right there in that section. Who knows? But what what would be the recourse? Like, what kind of, because that Crimea was on, a, you know, somebody else's watch, not the current administration. So what would be the slap 
what's what's the recourse to the U.S. or NATO or the EU? What can we do to show them that this is not right besides doing sanctions? Sanctions will will absolutely hurt, right? But mostly, if you if you think uh, about putting yourself in the shoes of the average Russian, um, if now I am at home and I can't, you know, have access to to electronic payment methods to watch Netflix or you know pay my bills or transfer money or whatever it is, that that's really um, tough to deal with as an individual, if you will, right? Um, but I think we're so accustomed to governments in in the U.S. and Europe bending the knee so easily uh, for any group um, you know that that wants to make noise um, that we think that Putin will also react the same way. And you know, I don't care how many Hollywood people or um, athletes make these social media posts about shame on you and you know posting some image or uh, Ukrainian flag. Putin does not care about your, um, you know, uh, social advocacy. It d- doesn't even matter to him. He, he is not the type of leader that's going to care anything about that. Sanctions obviously will hurt, but ultimately what will really hurt is for us and Europe to stop buying his oil and funding this adventure. That's yeah. that's what's going to stop this. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I agree. Uh, Kimberly? Oh, I thought you were saying something. Um, it was a bird. A bird flew close. <laughs> is that what it, I see her kind of I mean, shifting her eyes. <laughs> the crows have come because, you know, crows and hawks. And maybe he called like each other. He might have called. Uh, so I'll give you the audience my, my two cents uh, on it, too. I completely agree with you. The sanctions are actually going to hurt the people more. Maybe it'll embolden the people to unite and say this is wrong and maybe there is a tipping point to that uh you know demonstration of some sorts of uh saying we are the people united against this because we are suffering uh from this the other thing that i i think is what the eu besides military uh and all that stuff because we're dealing with nuclear powers and all that stuff it's a whole different thing but given a vehicle to both ukrainian and Russian military to be able to defect. Like if they're in the Ukraine and they don't really want to fight because I, I was watching some uh, some videos and soldiers saying, uh, we were thought we were doing a military exercise. They speak the same language, basically. It's the same, it's brothers and fathers and mothers. It's, it's the same people, uh, Ukraine and R- Russia, for those uh, that don't know. So it's uh, so being able to maybe say, hey, there's a vehicle for you. You don't have to worry about maybe going back to Russia and facing this. Maybe there's a vehicle for you to come to Europe or come to the U.S. and, and uh, you know, build a new life. If they see that that's open, perhaps uh, that'll help people, you know, feel a little more secure with making the decision. Well, I don't know. You didn't ask me, but here are my thoughts that are based on I did ask reality. you. I did ask you and you were distracted by a bird. You did. I did ask you. You were looking at crows. <laughs> You're like, they're going to come down here, I swear. (laughs) No one would ever elect me to be in charge of anything. (laughs) One. (laughs) Two, I know nothing about the military. So first, I want to honor you for, thank you for your service as a veteran. Um, Three, what I'm going to say is probably not even possible and based on my Netflix viewing habits. (laughs) (laughs) I 1000% agree that I just do not, how do I say? I don't want to gender it, but 
Like strength is not something I see in our president, not in a bad way. I don't mean that like, cause I voted for that dude. But like, what I mean is like strength, if that makes sense. And when I look okay. at the dude who's on Canada dude, I'm like, uh. and then Trudeau. the guy from France, I'm kind of like, what? And then the guy from England, <laughs> Bars. I'm kind of thinking all of them could be taken out instantly, you know, <laughs> and I just want like a, like a strong <laughs> person we all with do. a strong mind and like, and I just kind of like, I don't know, you just don't seem like the right dudes <laughs> to do sure. this. Yeah. And I don't mean to make it gendered or to talk about masculinity or strength or anything, <clears> but it's just like. I'm just well, is there is there a model? Confident. Is there is there is there a model of strength that you think that exists? Like uh, female, male? I don't know what the gender. Well, now I don't is. know because, like, who knows? Like, when I look back from history, if that was what like the media was more in control, and I was fed like some image that was like an archetype. But my sense now is that. Um, this is going to be prolonged and like whatever needs to happen, isn't going to happen for forever. And I would rather have someone who's like, let's move swiftly. And this is, and there are things that are going to be unfortunate, but like, let's solve the problem. <laughs> and then let's be out. Yeah. 100%. That's agree. all I'm going to say before anyone comes for me. <laughs> and, and that's, that's the shameful part is that we can't even, and not to, you know, hate to go political here and, and uh, you're probably going to get some, some angry tweets, but um, you know, if you think there's this uh, old experiment people bring up where the scientist has a jar full of ants, right? Black ants, red ants, little brown ants, all kinds of different ants. And they're all happily crawling all around each other when it's just sitting there on the, on the desk. But if he shakes the jar a little bit, the ants go like it's full on war. They just start destroying each other. Uh, that's what we should be like. We're in the jar right now. We should be asking ourselves who's shaking it and why. And most of the reasons are typically financially. And, and again, I am one in which, you know, I think the, the, the best use of our political system here in this country is not for us as citizens to be beholden to any one party for any reason. Uh, that's all those people do. If you look at uh, the majority of those folks that are our politicians around the world, especially here in the U.S., um, how are these people becoming so filthy rich and, and why do they stay so long? Because it's a grift and they know it. And, and I, I just pray that people start realizing that we are all one. We are all one race, the human race. We're all connected. And if we would all work together, I know that might sound pie in the sky and utopian, but we're an advanced enough species to be able to pull it off. That's the only reason the humans have gotten so far is because of cooperation. So we should cooperate now. If there are problems that we need to address in our cities, our schools, our neighborhoods, we as people should work to do them together because the government is not getting anything done. Um, you know, there's very little faith in, in um, our elections, our elected leaders, on and on and on. People are disgusted on both sides, but there should be no both sides. It should just be one side. It's us, the American people, or whatever country you're in. Um, you know, if we truly do want to advance and help each other, like you said, we need to just get it done. We need to stop looking at these political folks to do it because they're all worthless. I hate to say that, 
but it's truer now more than ever. And, and my greatest fear is now we've just spent the last, let's say, six years of all this manipulation and, and absolute garbage that's been forced fed on folks. And now magically, everything's going away. And, and I fear that come midterm elections and the next presidential election and every election after that, the people are just going to forget how many livelihoods were affected, how many childhoods were affected, how many lives we've lost over the, you know, it's just enough is enough. And, and again, we, we, and this, this enlightenment came from, from a little uh, psilocybin uh, use for a few weeks. There you go. Yeah. After <laughs> my last spinal surgery, I was, I was in a bad place. You know, I talked about empathy earlier. I have so many guys coming to me all the time, like, Hey, you know, he, um, I think I'm going to kill myself. I don't know what else to do. I'm not getting help. And, and it was always hard for me to understand that depth of despair. Uh, but after my, my last experience of pain this past, you know, from June to December until I had that surgery, I was in so much pain. I wasn't actively thinking about, okay, I'm going to punch out. This is it. I'm not like, why, how can I live like this? But I was very passively, like anytime I laid down or, you know, like I wait for my family to go to bed and I would go outside in my, my swim trunks and just lay on the, the driveway to feel cold, like to feel something other than pain. Um, and, and every time I closed my eyes, I was like, okay, God, I'm ready. Like, but like, I'm done, done. Like no more, please. This hurts too much. Um, but it was the use of the, the mushrooms that really helped peel the veil back. And for me to just see all the light and love and the stuff that I have to be grateful for. Um, obviously my family, every breath I take, it's just incredibly shifted my perspective on, on life. Right. And, and I, I would, it's, I joked with a friend, I was like, what we should do is fill up a bunch of planes and just spray psilocybin everywhere. And, and maybe people will just, you know, get along, you know, like we should be able to talk, we should be able to talk about any issue with respect and dignity to each other. I love talking to people that think differently than me because I want to try to either understand their perspective or have a conversation with them to maybe make them think my way is not, you know, it might not be the right way, but have you considered X, Y, or Z? And we become so polarized where it's now we've let these, these politicians turn it into me against you. And, and that's just, you know, we, we should all move on. Enough is enough. Let's all be united because we, I mean, like you said, Len, this is a, it's an amazing, amazing country. Um, and a lot of times Americans get called cocky because we think our country is the best, but regardless of where you are, if you're a French national in France or a German in Germany, like you should feel the same way about your country that I do mine. And you should be working with your fellow citizens to make your country the place that it should be. Well, I was just about to say I'm going to vote for you in the next election. I wasn't I born here, man. Right. I'd love to. I, I would buy. <laughs> you know, I didn't say president necessarily. You can be <laughs> in other roles. Uh, they, there are powerful roles. But now that you admitted uh, you're microdosing, yeah, I'm not sure. We know people can solve that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, all right, brother. Listen, uh, I, I usually ask, uh, you know, where can people find out more about you? But you are in stealth mode, no. but I'm sure you would want people to find out more about Seven Sages and get in contact with you. So tell people where they can find you or, or your company. Yeah. So uh, the, the, the company is actually called Reardescent Holdings, doing business as Seven Sages Health. Uh, we're currently in a capital raise right now for launch. 
Um, so the website should be live here soon at sevenstageshealth.com. If you go there now, unfortunately, it's not live uh, because we're uh, not cleared hot to yet sell stuff. We're waiting for that merchant processing to get done. Uh, but obviously the website and, um, you know, if people have questions, please feel free to email me at Elias, E-L-I-A-S at sevenstageshealth.com. I'd love to, to hear from you uh, and happy to share what we got going on. But uh, we have some really uh, great vitamin and CBD products coming out. And hopefully down the road, uh, we'll look at expanding into uh, pet and human performance products as well as we've been working with some really amazing people from my old world uh, on some great things. So, um, and I'm going to be building a LinkedIn here soon. So uh, in time, uh, just, just look me up. I send you a LinkedIn request. Oh, and I got an Instagram. It's it's just, oh yeah, that's right. There you go. What is it? What's your Instagram? C-Surf. Got it. All right, brother. Hey, listen, thank you so much. It's always great to see you. Love you, and I really appreciate everything that you do, and like giving your time to this. It's it's really meaningful. So thank you it. so much for having me, both of you. I really appreciate it, and uh, enjoyed it. And uh, we'll have to get an Osprey out there for you, so you can like. <laughs> Yes, if there's any uh, houses that walk into the ocean experiences with mushrooms, I would like to be in attendance. All right, you'll well, you'll be in the next one. Yeah. We'll invite you. And everybody sure. love each other. <laughs> yes. yes. Bye, everyone. Thanks. All right. Bye. bye. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.